0: Ghostly Thistle Presents The Antique Shop. Episode twenty seven. Kronos. What is Kronos? How many times have I asked that? Usually no in such polite terms. I think it's obvious by no that the things in the shop scare me a wee bit. It's best no to touch them. But having said that, it's not like any have actually caused me as much harm as they mean to cause the customers they intended fee. Better safe than sorry, in my opinion. There are a few things I've never seen in the shop. Things you might expect to. I've never seen a weapon, be it a sword or gun or sabre. No even in a frame on the wall, or beside the jewellery in the glass cabinet. I've also never seen much military memorabilia. No medals on colourful ribbons, or uniforms stripped either honours. There aren't many stuffed animals, either. You know, the expensive ones you can get, made a century ago, perhaps longer, whose eyes are crooked and stuck on with toxic glue. Along the same lines, I've never seen a china doll. The ones with the porcelain faces and rosy cheeks. The ones that we girls used to dress up in the latest fashions, we corsets, crinolines and flounced skirts. I've never seen anything of the kind anywhere in the shop. Know that I've been looking. It's strange how you didn't realise something's been missing until it appears fae nowhere. The one that materialised on one of the half-filled bookshelves in the shop didn't look to be that old. I wouldn't think it was oot a place in a shop today. It had dazzling red hair falling in ringlets round its shoulders, paired with smooth, pale skin and shiny, almost watery green eyes. Whoever made it wanted to be certain everyone knew it was a Scottish lassie, going so far as to make it a wee tartan dress. The bow holding the ginger ringlets in place was even made a tartan. It was a bonny thing, and I didn't say that often. Masterfully made and lovingly maintained, there was not a missing piece or scratch that I could see. As I mentioned, it wouldn't have looked oot a place on the shelf of a shop today. I know people have a thing about China dolls given all of the horror films and books about them, but they've never bothered me. I've always wondered how, though, they've gained such a creepy reputation. Is it solely how they're portrayed in horror? Or is it some leftover cultural belief, like how mirrors can trap a soul? This doll was nae chucky. It was nae cobbled together grotesquely, and it didn't have a sinister expression and a knife in its hands. It was a china doll, and I thought nothing else of it. Until it moved. The next time I was in the shop, it was gone from the bookshelf. That's no unusual, no in the shop. A customer, or even one of my familiars, may have done it. Reed's always going round, finding things, moving them, stashing them away like a squirrel. I'd begun to think that a customer had bought it until I saw it propped on top of a pile of magazines on a card table. I'll admit, because I hadn't really been expecting it, I did jump a wee bit. Catching its eyes as if I were the one acting strangely. I laughed it off. Because it's a china doll. It's allowed to be moved. Except it kept moving. At first it was once a day, then multiple times during the same day until I'd be cleaning a mirror and I'd see it shuffling in the reflection. Only for it to be stationary, propped on something staring at me with glassy gaze when I turned round. I'd be at the counter, Cleaning the glass or arranging a display of antique postcards. And I'd hear scratching. The pitter-pattery feet on a wooden floor. Like a rat scurrying along. I ignored it the first few times. Then, assuming it was a rodent, would go to investigate. When I'd reach the source of the sound, there'd be nothing there. Except her. The ginger doll. I knew she was moving round the shop. I knew she was no half-the-shelf china doll that would sit prettily in a collection. And I was starting to believe she was out to get me. I shook it off, or at least tried to. Despite appearances, my life's no complete horror show. I really tried to ignore the noises. The unsettling feeling I got when she wasn't in the place I'd seen her before. I didn't want to mention anything to Finn or Reed because he how ridiculous it was. They wouldn't believe me. I hardly believed me. There was usually someone in the shop with me whenever she moved. It could be a prank by Reed, still trying to get me back for dismissing him. Even Finn had a comedic streak. Inevitably, there came a day when it was just me in the shop. I didn't like it as much as I used to. There's something about the silence that feels heavy, almost suffocating. Like the weight of all the objects and fates they'll change float in the air like dust. It was especially stifling this day, and up until the end, I had hope that the doll wouldn't move. That it would just be a prank by my familiars. I swear I'll learn someday, to never have that kind of hope when it comes to the shop. I found her quite quickly when I started my shift. She was sitting on a vanity table, her back propped against the mirror. I walked quickly past, keeping my eyes to the floor as if no making eye contact would keep me safe. On my way back, she was still there, and my heart began to lighten. She hadn't moved. I walked past, almost got to the end of the pathway, almost to the counter, when I heard the clatter of something dropping to the floor. I stopped, almost frozen. Stiffly, I forced myself to turn round, to look, and the doll wasn't wasnae sitting on the table any more. She was standing in the middle of the aisle, staring me down with those glassy eyes. She wasn't that far away, no more than two meters, and given her size, I could definitely outrun her. So that's what I did. I whirled round and began to sprint for the door, only to feel something dig into my ankles like needles or nails making me lose my balance and sprawl hands first onto the floor. I tried to scramble up but the needles were seeping up my legs like I was being flayed one inch at a time. In my panic, I began to use my arms to slide across the floor but a force hit my back so hard my arms couldn't keep me up. In my panicked struggle, I found myself on my back a weight on my chest, watery eyes staring into mine as my throat began to tighten, my airway shrink until I couldn't breathe. At first, I thought it was a panic attack, but it felt more like there was a pressure on my throat, like someone was pressing doon on my windpipe, stopping me breathing. Lights began to dance round me. Everything hurt so much I felt like I should be flailing and a pulley my own blood. Then there was a flashy black, a breath of air as something whooshed past me. Suddenly the pressure was gone, the pain was gone, my lungs filled with air and my throat opened. A scrambled to set up, clawing at the skin of my throat as if that would let the air in faster frantically inspecting my feet and legs for injury or blood. There were scratch marks, as though I'd walked through brambles or got stuck in barbed wire, but no other injury. My gaze began to focus, and I stared at the back end of what I could only call a wild animal, if it was an animal at all. Its fur was thick and glistened like a raven's wing. A pure midnight black that shimmered when the light hit it. It had four legs and four large paws, claws visible between its fur. Five long, agile tails swished in the air, flicking in one direction and then the other, never getting crossed or twisted. There was a distant crunching sound before pieces began to fall to the floor, sounding like someone had dropped a plate and it had smashed into a thousand pieces. Looking closer, I saw clumps of ginger hair amongst the shards of porcelain, finally joined by the shreds of a tartan dress. The creature turned to face me. The only animal I can liken it to is a black panther, a giant, predatory cat you'd only like to be near if it was on the other side a protective glass. The black fur and feline face were the only similarities between this creature and a panther. For a start, the one before me had three eyes, two regular ash grey and a third which sparkled with shards a gold, like stardust on its forehead. It had a thinner face than most predatory cats. A longer nose, more like a dog than cat. Its five tails fanned out behind it like a peacock's. You think I'd be scared. I probably should have been. Instead, I reached my hand out slowly, warily, ready to snap it back at the slightest movement. My fingers reached the fur on its face, brushed past the thick whiskers and up towards its pointed ears. Kronos? I questioned uneasily. The creature leaned into my hand, briefly closing all three of its eyes. I heard Kronos's voice in my head, asking if I was hurt. I said I wasn't marvelling at how a wee black cat could become whatever I was stroking. He beckoned me over to my regular hiding spot and told me to sit down. I watched as all five tails wrapped around the three-eyed creature before me and began to shrink it, until all that was left was the wee shite I knew. I was told to close my eyes. I felt something curl up in my lap and my hands found Cronosi's soft black fur Uti instinct or habit, I wasn't sure. I continued to hear his voice in my heat, like a lullaby, soft and gentle as it coaxed me into a place between sleep and consciousness. A place where I wasn't quite dreaming yet I wasn't fully awake. I saw an animal a creature with black fur and too many tails. It roamed the wilds a foreign country, through blazing deserts and freezing mountain ranges. I watched it hunt and sleep and try to survive. I observed as humans preyed on it, wondered at it, and tried to capture it. The creature fought them off, time after time, until the humans adapted. They strategized, they grew in numbers and cunning, until the creature was trapped in a cage, bound with enchantments and ancient runes. The creature, with its three eyes and five tails, was Kronos. I couldn't tell how long Kronos was in the cage, trapped by the greed of humans. But one day a woman came upon the cage Upon his captors. She ignored them and went to sit by the bars o' the prison. In a soft, gentle voice, like a spring breeze blowing the chill o' winter away, she offered Kronos a deal. If he agreed to be her guardian, to remain in her shop for a hundred years, then the cage and the hunters would no longer be a source o' harm. I knew who this woman was, or rather, what she was. One of the many Madame Nornas that has come before. Yet this one was interfering with something. Why? Had it no been Cronos's fate to be imprisoned? Had she made an exception? Kronos agreed and was liberated from one cage only to be put in a more spacious one. This incarnation of the shop was the oldest I'd seen, medieval at least, maybe earlier. Kronos transformed the mythical creature to a domestic cat, shedding his black fur for the stripes and patches of ginger. The then Madame Norna explained that being a cat would invite less questions and invoke less fear for the customers. A century would go by. Kronos would change Fe ginger, te grey, tae white, to tricoloured. Eventually the ruse that Kronos was different cats ended, way black becoming the chosen shade. Their deal was done, yet Kronos never left. Didnae want to? The creature in the cage became the immortal guardian of the shop. A domesticated cat that hid a wild creature within. Kronos thought that it'd always be just the two of them. No one ever explained that madams come and go. When the apprentice arrived and the madam explained, Kronos was upset. The apprentice wasn't made to feel welcome. Just like we the first madam, Kronos became fond of the one after. And the one after, and the one after, until centuries passed. Like the shop, its guardian became a constant. And also, like the shop, Kronos was not a vessel, a fate, its guiding hand. Kronos was stationary in a world that was moving. The shop and its guardian were constants, beings that rarely changed, who observed life go by. And kept watch over the items and belongings that had more purposes to serve. Kronos admitted that despite the centuries in the shop, it was always a source of pain when an apprentice turned up. It meant saying goodbye to a close friend, to family. But eventually, Kronos would grow as fond of the apprentices as the madam, until they became the madam and the cycle began all over. I asked him why he hadn't left, why he hadn't reclaimed his freedom. There was silence for a while as he contemplated. Even if he'd grown fond of the first madam, the one who'd saved him, why hadn't he left after she was replaced? Safety. In that century, he had changed furs more time than people change occupations. The shop had become his home, and the madam his family. Out in the wilderness, he was hunted, no just by humans. He had to fight, to survive, to live, from one day to the next, with no purpose. The madam had given him a home, given him a purpose, given him a place where he could belong and where he was valued. Kronos didn't see the shop as a cage. Didn't he see his guardianship as a service? He saw it as a way to live. He guarded the shop and the madams in exchange for a safe place. A place where he'd always be welcome, valued and treated with respect. There were probably a few hundred insightful and thoughtful things I could have asked him next. But I chose, why a black cat? He could have been a Bengal, with their dark stripes and spots, or even the much prized Siamese. This one was easy for him to answer. He'd been sick of everyone touching him whenever they came into the shop. The customers ogling, prodding, naming prices that they were willing to pay, even trying to steal him a few times. No one went near a black cat, he told me. They brought bad luck. He did mention, however, that there had been a few times in the past where he'd voluntarily changed his colour, mainly during the many witch trials. On other occasions, he did it because he was bored and fancied a change. I'd opened my eyes, and Kronos was still in my lap, his eyes closed, his chest moving up and down rhythmically. I knew he was still awake. He was just comfortable. And so was I. Sitting in my... our corner of the shop, tucked away for the customers and for the world, I suppose he wasn't the only one that felt safe. Despite the things in the shop that may cause me harm, I knew then, as this tiny, monstrous creature was curled in my lap, that I really did have... Nothing to fear. No, physically, anyway. I should probably stop calling him a wee shite, shouldn't I? <laughs> but what happens when avoidance doesn't work? Oh God! <clears throat> I do apologise for the the. I've got every Sunday morning, man. Come on. <laughs> If my voice box could just wake up, that'd be great, (laughs) thanks. There are a few things I've never seen in the shop. (laughs) Come on, man. If it's not my throat, it's my stomach. You'd think I learned by now that I need to eat before I do this at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. But no, no, God forbid the one that (laughs) materialised yeah, I thought that was going to happen oh, you're a bad boy yeah, you're a bad boy come on yes, I know right, on the bed. behave yourself now mum, be done soon good boy my Christ, if it's not my stomach and my throat it's my dog can he get on these days? And also like the shop. Eh, just bit my tongue. Despite the things in the shop that made me 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 me. Me, 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 (laughs) me. Oh no. Oh dear. Oh shit. (laughs) I can't can't, oh no, I'm gonna have to get no no come on. Come on, come on, come on. I can get over that. I can get over that. (laughs) Oh no, I was so close to the end. We're two minutes away from the end. Come on, pull it together, woman. Despite the things in the shop that may mean, me... <laughs> oh, for fucking Christ, that may mean me harm. Oh no, I'm gonna have to change that. I can't say that. Despite the things in the shop that may mean may. Okay, I'm gonna have to change that. I can't. I can't say that. Thank you for listening to episode twenty-seven of the Antique Shop. Episode twenty-eight will be released in two weeks' time. If you'd like to learn some fun facts about this podcast, then please do join our subreddit, the Antique Shop Pod. We've got quite a few members now, <laughs> and I I try to post as regularly as I can about fun facts about the podcast and inspirations, etc. etc. Oh my god! Oh PhD! Oh, I'm kidding. Don't. don't. I hate that word. Anyway. Oh, to the person who left a review, oh, to the many people who have left a review already, thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. But to the person that mentioned in the review that they had fan art, please share if you're listening. I love fan art. And I can't believe that I've got to the stage where people are creating fan art for this podcast. It's so, that's insane. I, yeah, I can't draw for bollocks. I literally got a D minus. That is that's my one enduring memory of art in school was my D minus for a drawing of my own hand. And after that I didn't I have no qualifications in art. I didn't even take it on the lowest level. I literally got out of there as quickly as possible. Um do I can't draw for utter shite. But I love seeing other people's drawings. I'm I I love it so much. I would love to see how listeners interpret this world that I've created. I think that's really fascinating yeah I find that really fascinating how other people interpret your work and how they see your work and stuff like that so yeah please if you have fan art if any of you have fan art um then either send it to me if you're not comfortable with you know sharing it with a lot of people I completely understand that um or you can obviously share it on the subreddit or share it on your own profile and send me a link etc i'll I, we'll figure it out <laughs> um so yes uh, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.